Hi, this is John. Today on Theocast, we're going to talk about the struggle that everyone has. I know I'm a Christian. Christ, by the power of the Spirit, lives within me, and yet I keep sinning. The struggle between the flesh and the Spirit. You may have heard it this way, saint and sinner at the same time. We want to speak into this because it's the reality of everyone, and yet at times we feel like the sinner wins, and the saint is helpless and hopeless. We want to speak into that. Stay tuned. If you're new to Theocast, you may not have heard of this word. It's called pietism. Have you ever felt like the Christian life is a heavy burden versus rest and joy? That you wake up worrying about how well you're going to perform instead of thinking about what Christ has done for you? It's dread versus joy, really. That's pietism. Pietism causes Christians to look in on themselves and find their hope, not in what Christ has done, but what they're doing. And we have a little book for you. It's free. We want you to download it. And we're going to explain the difference between pietism and what we call confessionalism. Reformed theology, really. How it is that we walk by faith, seeing the joy of Christ. And when Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest, what does that look like? You can download it at our website. Just go to theocast.org. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed, confessional, and pastoral perspective. You're, Those perspectives. That's right. We each week try to uh, clarify the gospel and reclaim the purpose of the kingdom. That's what we're here for today. Your host, Justin Purdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm John Moffat. I'm the pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And yeah, this is John. week two for you, but this is... Uh, second episode in one day. We just uh, finished one, and now we're on to the second one. Because yeah, kind of. we are actually together in we Smyrna, are. Tennessee, which is just south of uh, Ash, uh, sorry Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And we've uh, we mentioned this last week, so we won't go into details of it. We, we just finished the GRN conference, yeah, and we had a panel discussion after Patrick Crandall's amazing lecture on saint and sinner mm-hmm. simultaneously. It was yeah. it was passionate, it was encouraging. Um, don't really want to tell you much about it because I really want you to go listen to it, which you can do so on the GRN website or eventually, it's not there yet, or you can go to the community app, it should be there as well. Yeah, it was so, a great conversation. It was. Very important for our peace before the Lord. Yeah. Really important for our lives in the local church, for our sanctification, living honestly and openly together, all of those things. Yeah. And more. If you weren't, if you didn't listen to last week, this is a panel discussion with Charles Townsend, who's the pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Spencer, right? Spencer, Indiana. Spencer, Indiana. Yeah. And then Patrick Crandall, who is the pastor of Covenant Grace Columbia. And uh, boy, Patrick Crandall, that was weird. We're str- We're tired, John. <laughs> Patrick okay. yeah. Crandall. And uh, which I have to just say this because it was funny. Somebody uh, said that everybody from his church are Crandallites. Sounds just, too much like Campbellites for my money. Anyway. <laughs> it was so funny. And then Justin and I. So this is a panel discussion. and uh, It's a very theocasty conversation. It is. It is. Yeah. It, it is uh, it's a little echoey. We're in a pretty pretty large building. So, But I think the, the, the content will be great, encouraging you. Mm-hmm. If you're watching this on YouTube, there will be no video for this. We apologize. Mm. Um, but I think we're gonna, you're going to enjoy the discussion. I think so, too. And uh, we will be back with you next week with a regular episode. Yep. Thank you. All right, folks, let's go ahead and find our seats as uh, we get ready to grill everybody up here on this wonderful, just 
fantastic address on uh, Center State. So again, thank you, Patrick, for that word. It's fantastic. Um, we were just talking about this up there. Only I only really have, I was so engrossed in the message that towards the end I remembered I was supposed to come up with questions. But really, only have two 2.5 questions because I know all of us men have a lot to talk about here. So first of all, first question I want to ask, specifically because of Grace Reform Network, all of you have seen the criteria and whatnot. Uh, we make Romans 7 a significant issue for membership and, and, and a right understanding of Romans 7 and this idea of a sinner saint reality. Uh, so gentlemen, just speak on the fact of why we felt that was so important that we would add that to the criteria for being a member of this organization. <laughs> uh, we'll do that. Part of the reason that we made Romans 7 an issue is that it is, like it has been in other eras of the church's history, it's becoming increasingly in vogue these days to see Romans 7 as written by Paul in an unregenerate state. And we wanted to drive a stake in the ground in the historical Reformed and Augustinian position that Paul is writing as a regenerate man in Romans 7. So that's maybe the formal reason. But then in terms of like materially, there are so many. I, th I think effectively that's what we're going to be talking about now because truer words have never been written than what is contained in Romans 7, 14 and following about the normative experience of the Christian. This has so much to do with pastoral posture which, brother, you, I think, gently and also in good and punchy ways made that clear. We'll talk more about that, I know. Uh, this has a lot to do with the culture of a local church and the compassion that sinners should have for one another and the watchfulness that we have over one another that is not heavy-handed, but it is born out of love and an understanding of our common predicament. Like, brother, sister, I get it. Like, I'm with you right? And at the end of the day, we all still sin. It's like we were talking about yesterday, Heidelberg Catechism question 60. It's not just that I've broken all of God's commands and never kept one. I'm still inclined toward all evil, right? And so what do you got for me? If we can't, eat, if we can't deal with that, then what are we doing? I could say more, but I want you brothers to jump yeah. in. Yeah, no, this is, um, this is important because <clears throat> when, you, when you hold the distinctions one side of the distinction creates rest, that's the saint side, and then the other creates dependence, that's the sinner side, right? So uh, when we look to who we are in Christ, we can relax and rest because all righteousness is there, and then when we look to the frailty of our flesh, that creates dependence. And I love your idea of um, true, a true mature Christian is one who is in greater dependence, right? So when you, when, you, when you remove one side of that, you, you do end up either with antinomianism or despair, right? Uh, there is no need for a dependence, do whatever you want, or you're in despair because you can't seem to find rest, right? So this, the, the, the duality of the nature, this, Paul, what's interesting is that sometimes people don't catch this. Paul describes this in Corinthians as a new kind of creature. That's what he says. He's like, there's, there's the original perfect Adam and Eve, then there's the fallen nature of all of humanity, and then there's this whole new subcategory of creatures who have God inside them. They're templed in God. So 
that's, this is new for us. And then he goes on to teach how a fallen creature who is embodied with spirit now looks and lives. I, there's no way. another reason why it's connected to Romans yeah, 7. Right. Yeah. There's no way that we can have peace before God if we don't have this understanding. Uh, I don't think that's hyperbolic to say. And it's important that we understand that, like Luther said, you know, the dead man, I mean, obviously our old nature has been put to death, but the dead man floats. And we drag the corpse of the old man around with us all the time. We all know that's true. We feel that burden. And it's really important that we understand that the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit does not make the flesh holy. I think that gets collapsed a lot of times in how Christians with the best of intentions talk about sanctification. The old man is not sanctified. The only thing we're ever told to do with that is put it off and live like who we are now, right? It's our inner man that's being sanctified and transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. And clarity on this is so critical for our peace and our assurance and our rest, which is then going to result in bearing fruit for the Lord, right? And this is just to continue this on, because you've already mentioned this phrase, um, and just want to go back to that line that hurt so bad, but was so good, as far as we treat the ones wounded in war as traitors. Yeah. And specifically pastorally, instead of being shepherds, we become butchers. So how should this impact our, to, to use Justin's phrase, our pastoral path, posture, especially when you're dealing with people that are that are in the midst of grievous sin, because we're all in the midst of sin at all times. But what I'm talking about is when it really comes to the surface, there's a lot of unrepentant situations or just dealing with the congregation as a whole. Go ahead, whomever. One of the things that we've been talking a lot about as a church lately is just the, the nature of sin, how it works, how it functions. And it works, it's duplicitous. It works on lies and manipulation. And one of the the best things, sin thrives in the dark, right? And so one of the ways that this happens is if you don't pastor, shepherd, or even if you're not a pastor, if you don't relate to people in this reality and your expectation is, you know, this kind of over-realized eschatological prosperity, spirituality sort of thing, is that now there's this expectation like, okay, we don't sin. I'm not a Christian, so I don't sin. So that means when I do sin, I can't actually like bring that out because then people aren't going to think I'm a Christian. I'm not, I'm not a saint, so I got, I've, got, I've got to bury this. And how are we helped with sin? It's not by doing that. We confess our sins, right? Like when they are exposed to the light, their lies are laid bare. When we confess to one another, we're able to preach Christ to one another. Right? That's how we find grace and help in our sin. And so there's this very insidious shift, right? If, if we can be convinced that we are not sinners— then we have to play act this because it's not true. We're going to still sin, but now we have to play the game, right? We have to portray ourselves as not sinners, which keeps us from the help we need to actually deal with sin. Right. right. It, it actually hinders real sanctification. Absolutely. So it's, it's hilarious that when you talk the ways that we do sometimes, the, the charge of antinomianism is brought up because in reality, it's like, no, we are after real heart level, like deep recesses of my soul sanctification, mm -hmm. where in the church we understand where our righteousness comes from, mm -hmm. that it's alien, mm -hmm. 
to us, like you were t- you were talking about today. And that frees us to stare what you know, our sin in the face, confess it, weep over it, grieve over it, and lock arms with the saints so that we might be sanctified. And we've all seen this. I mean, we could give testimonies in our own local churches of just astonishing confession of real deep sin and how the Lord has been so gracious to people. And it's because of this freedom and this peace that exists in the church when these things are maintained. These doctrines are guarded and the, the pastors lead in it and the saints get it too. And we live like this. Yeah, I can remember when we started uh, emphasizing this very early on in our in our church, there was a concern about, well, man, if you do this, people are just going to get around each other and air their dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. What you're telling me is you don't want to hear about other people's problems. Because mm-hmm. dirty laundry just means sins. Let's just not be, that's what you're talking about. I don't, I got, I got enough to deal with. I don't deal with your issues. So when we get together in men's group and women's group, you know, let's just keep it simple. Yeah, lie to me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where when you give people the opportunity to come carrying burdens and saying, apparently I have a problem because I can't offload this. Mm-hmm. What does James say? Confess your sins to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does Romans 15.1 say? Those of you who have a strong have an obligation to deal with the failings of the weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does Galatians 6 say, right? Those of you who are spiritual should go to those who are trapped in sin and restore them with a spirit of gentleness and meekness. The church is surrounded abound those who are depending on Christ and those who are struggling in the flesh. And it's there's a symbiotic relationship that happens there, but churches don't allow people to be sinners. You have to create a place where someone can open up and say, I am trapped. Please help me. Please come and give me something, right? This is why he says, every day consider how to encourage one another, how to to build one another up. Why? Because the hound of sin is at your door wanting to claw you to death. Mm -hmm. And so the moment you allow someone to open up the darkest part of their heart, and you you can see it on their face. They're they're willing. They're trying to think. Do I give them ten percent or the whole thing? Like I don't know how much they're gonna. And every I know every one of you guys have had this moment where they're like, "All right, Pastor, I'm about to shock you." Mm-hmm. And like that's <laughs> not even possible, right? <laughs> Instead of recoiling in horror, you know, when they're sitting in the the chair and won't even make eye contact because there's so much shame. And the, the expectation is when I say this to my pastor, he's gonna. He's going to push back. And instead, and instead you lean in. Amen. Right? That bears fruit. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just a pastoral posture, how does this inform you as a preacher? Mm-hmm. So I've said this before. I mean, maybe on Theocast, but I'll say it here. Because um, I haven't said it this weekend, I don't believe, or this week. That what I presume as a preacher is that my people love the Lord and want to honor him and want to obey him and are grieved at the thought of offending him. And yet, they battle mightily against the corruption of their flesh, and they are weak, and they lament their weakness. And so I preach accordingly. But we also pastor accordingly, which means that the things that should characterize pastoral ministry, it's like you do need to shoot wolves sometimes, oh, yeah. but that means legitimate wolves, Right? But our pastoral posture is one of patience and gentleness. 
And we trust that that will bear fruit over the long haul. And this doctrine drives that posture. Yeah, yeah. Wolves are proclaiming another gospel. They're, they're not just sinning. Right. Sheep are going to sin. That's what we've been exactly. warned about. Like you're gonna be, you're gonna be bit by them. Right. right? Yeah. Did you have something to add? Yeah, I was just gonna say, God gave us another tool for wolves. It's called discipline. Exactly. Too many people are trying to we do church discipline from the That's pulpit, right? right? Like right. the preaching of the, of the gospel that we got to church right. is not for church discipline. He right. gave us another means of grace right. for those who falsely profess. Like people preach not this way because they're afraid of false professors. Exactly. That sort of thing. So the, all the preaching is not care for these people who love Jesus, and right. you're patching up their wounds right. so they can go back out into this conflict. What you're doing is you're trying to smoke out these one or two false people in there. You're not letting the, the, the tares and the wheat grow up together, mm-hmm. as Christ said. But he gave us something for that. It's discipline. Right. Don't do church discipline Come on, man. from the pulpit. Right. That's not what it's for. Yeah, the only kind of discipline you're doing from the pulpit, it's formative. Right, right. right? Yeah. Yeah, but what, you're, what we're talking about here is like the formal process right. of church discipline. And in our, our context, I know we have you know, three levels of church censure admonishment, suspension from the table, excommunication. We don't need to get into the nuts and bolts. But this is relevant, what we're talking about right now. How, how should our posture be with respect to even church discipline? We should be patient. We ought not be hasty, generally speaking. Now, heinous sin, we can always make exceptions that prove the rule. It's not what we're going to do right now. In a general sense, you're patient, you're, you're gentle, you're clear, you do things in the light so that everybody understands what's going on. And then even when it comes to the point of excommunication, we should be plain that what we are saying right now is not making a pronouncement that these people certainly are not Christians, but that we are saying that you are living in obstinate, hard-hearted, stubborn, unrepentant sin that is dangerous for your soul. And so the loving thing to do, the tool that the Lord has given us that is actually restorative in nature, that is a piece of how he keeps his people, is we are going to put you out that you might be brought back to the fold, right? right? Instead of saying immediately somebody is in chapter five situation from 16, like you said, backslidden, whatever term you want to use, I feel in my own past and in other contexts we're too quick to say they were never of us, uh-huh. which to me is almost that butchering kind of situation instead of dealing you with, right, you don't know. But instead of walking with them like you, like you're, you, you talked about so well, it's easier to, to just kick them out to make it easier for everybody else instead of walking with the wounded. Yeah. Uh, before moving on, this this is why 5.5 in our confession is extreme. If, if you haven't memorized this, you need to, right? Do you understand that in Scripture and in the confession, it doesn't put a timeline on that? Like how long a Christian could wander? Yeah. Just, I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. There is no timeline on that, which means that people can wander for a very long time. Do you know it was almost a year before David got confronted? It wasn't like, boom, 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 oh, I got to repent. It was a long time. And then it took a really gnarly illustration for him to wake up. You are the man. <laughs> this is you. So this as a pastor and a shepherd, it's, it's incumbent upon us to realize that this is a process that takes time that you are depending on the Spirit to do His side. We do our side. We administrate. We be, we're gracious. We, we do the, the means that He's given us, and then we wait and pray and, and are ready to welcome back, right? Because it's not they're not the traitor. Um, what's interesting, I think, 
in this situation is that uh, there are a lot of people who would have, uh, agree with the saint center reality. And so they'll say, yeah, to the saint side, we need to preach the gospel, but to the sinner side, we're going we're gonna to come after them with the law. Well, the hard part about that is Paul says, did you not know that the kindness of God was meant to lead you to repentance? Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating in the great high priest in Hebrews, he doesn't point to the law as to why with boldness they run into the throne room of God. What, is, what does he point to? They're standing as child. He's your father. Because of his affection with boldness, you don't run, bold, you don't run boldly to the law, do you? Because the, the law is there to, to prove your failure. But you run towards a father that you know is waiting for you with what? In a time of need, come to me with grace and mercy. So the preaching of the gospel is for the saint side and the sinner side. Because when you don't provide grace and mercy to a sinner, they don't want to repent. I am speaking from example here. We hide, we cover, we, pre- we pretend. We put uh, coats of paint on it, right? right? Mm-hmm. But what seeps through is the rottenness. And so when someone tells me preaching grace will only allow people to remain in their sin, I can't justify that with all of these other passages that say the opposite of this, that it's emphasizing that grace is what leads us home. It's not what keeps us away from repentance. It actually draws us in. And then, of course, Paul gets accused of being an antinomian and says, well, then let's just sin all the more so we can see more grace. He's like, no, you, you don't. may it never be. May it never be. Hey, guys, real quick. Some of you are listening to this and it's encouraging to you, but you have questions. So where do you go? How do you interact with other people who have the same questions and share resources? We have started something called the Theocast Community. We're excited because not only is it a place for you to connect with other like-minded believers, all of our resources there, past podcasts, education materials, articles, all of it's there, and you can share it and ask questions. You can go check it out. The link is in the description below. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on how sometimes uh, there are people in the reform world who would agree saint Center, but somehow they think you got to preach one way to the saint side and another way to the sinner side. Yeah, one of the things I think is important, so we talk about like the three uses of the law. And one of the things to remember is that we're not, we're not preaching the law three different ways. These are three ways the Spirit uses the law, right? And so to, saint sinners need the law and the gospel. They don't need it blended, and they don't need one or the other. They need both because the Spirit uses the preaching of the law in those three ways, and he applies it to the hearts of the people who hear it and does the work that he's supposed to do with it, right? So those who need to be convicted and driven to Christ, he does that through that. When the, the third use, those who need guidance on what it looks like to live as a saint, he does that in them. Our call is to preach the law faithfully and lawfully. Use it for what, use it the way it's meant to be used. And we can never do it apart from the gospel and we can never preach it as the gospel, right? Law and gospel must go together. The gospel is not needed unless the law is preached faithfully and the law without the gospel is utter despair, mm-hmm. right? And so saint sinners need law, gospel, faithfully proclaimed and it does all that's needed for this. That's the answer is to preach law and gospel and the uses of the law. And I think sometimes... We kind of said this yesterday, we'll say it again. I think sometimes the confusion, even amongst a thoughtful group like this, might be that, well, the first use of the law is for the non-believer, and the third use is for the Christian. 
It's like, well, that latter part is true. The third use is only for the believer. But that first use is actually helpful for us week over week because we're reminded yet again, like Sunday after Sunday, like, hey, fam, don't get it twisted. Like, you're not keeping the law for merit. Like, you can't do this. You couldn't do it before. You can't do it now. You know, and so you're always being driven to Christ to cast yourself wholly upon him, Lord's day after Lord's day. That's also helpful because it reminds us always where our peace comes from and where our righteousness is found, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and to answer your question, I know, I'm awful at this. Uh, <clears throat> these microphones. Uh, why, coming from my own recovering pietism or whatever, um, is thinking that somehow you can get people to grace through a guilt trip. And guilt and shame are appropriate in some responses, but trying to pile guilt, uh, almost like Jesus telling the Pharisees, you tying up heavy burdens on people that you don't you lift a finger to help bear, uh, that kind of situation. Um, and you said it so well, it's like kicking a dead horse. If you kick it long enough, it'll become alive. Um, and it's just the vanity of our own rationale. Um, and thank God for recovering from that. Uh, but with that, we've kind of all talked about this a, a, a little bit, but you had mentioned just Romans 7 or the, the, this reality of simul use to set peccator in the Christian life. So you, you have a, a congregant or yourself. I'm sure we've all felt this. I've been struggling with this same sin year after year after year. How? You talked about the battle. You talked about the fight. How do we find comfort? in this reality? How do we preach comfort? How do we tell our brothers and sisters comfort? It's kind of a softball, but no, no, it's I just, real. I just, when someone wants to tip their tip, uh, dip their toe in the water and see if it's safe to uh, confess, the one they're always like, man, I just, I just keep struggling with pride. I just, <laughs> man, I just, that's how they're going to test you. Like, all right, we'll see how they handle this one. To which, if we really want to be punchy in how sometimes sin is handled, like long-standing habitual sin, like, the idea that habitual sin means you're not a Christian, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I guess none of us are then. Because right. sin's habitual, guys. I mean, you generally speaking, you have proclivities. You have bends in your frame. Mm-hmm. That you're going to battle from now until you die or Christ returns. That's not to discourage. That's to be honest. There will be grace in it. The Spirit of God will sanctify. But the fight is real, right? And so then, like, with that whole pride thing, it's like you're looking at a guy, somebody in sort of the self-righteous type. It's like, man, I've been struggling with pride for 25 years. You know, and it's like, uh, I want to say to that man, um, brother, you sure you're a Christian? Because um, you you talk to everybody else as though they should be better by now, and you've been struggling with the same thing for 25 years. I don't know if you're saved, man. <laughs> you know, if, if we want to be punchy, we could go that direction. I mean, how but, many of you have been a believer for a while, and you believed the lie that over time this will go away? Anybody? Yeah, <laughs> like, you should be better. That's right. Like that, or we, we think even, well, sanctification means that the fight will get easier. Yeah, that's what I mean. Not yeah. true. No. It's harder. Not just, I don't even mean that, like, I just won't do it anymore. That's right. But even just that the fight will get easier, not necessarily true. It might be just as hard or harder in 10 years than it is at this current moment. It might. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that, uh, I, I can tell you the relief to my soul right. when I came to the realization that it's normal to wake up every day and grind and fight and claw like, no, that's that's why you got to depend on Christ because that's what the flesh is going to have to do with. It was like, oh, 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 so this is like normal. Oh, okay, good, because I thought it was just me. I thought everybody else had it under control, and I was the only one, like, out of control. Like, what happened? Well, because, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's important to realize, like, 
we're promised sanctification. It's going to happen. And it's going to culminate in glorification. It is certain. He does not yeah. promise us he's going to do it in a particular way that we want him to do it. Right. <laughs> like making everything easier for us, which is the way we would like it to go. Right. right? And, you know, there are, you know, just my own Christian life, there are things that have gotten easier. There, there has been grace, like, that has, you know, helped me to pursue Christ when I would have chased sin. Praise God. Yeah. There are other things that are just as hard right. as they were 10 years, 15 years ago. God in his wisdom is sanctifying me the way that is best for me and most glorifies him. It's not the way I would design it because I don't have his wisdom. Yeah. Right? I don't know everything he knows. I trust him. Yeah. Right? I trust him. And how he is sanctifying me is well, good because right. of who he is. Can we make a few random comments at the yeah, end of so this? If we're wanting to keep the schedules, two forty-five, right? Yeah, yeah I just we're have gonna, one more thought on that, and I'll throw it over. We'll do, to you. Yeah, we might get bleed over slightly. Because yeah. what happens is this sometimes is we have what's called these um, these declarative overachievement moments, where it's like I was once a drug addict, now I'm not. What you are fooled by is that you think that this particular sin was the pinnacle moment. Um, you're just moved on to another struggle. The struggle never so. The sin may change, but the struggle remains. That's why there's dependence, and that's why saint sinner matters. So there, praise God, we might overcome certain sins, but the moment you think you should lower your guard, take heed. That's the fight we're talking right. about. Every day you wake up not knowing what sin you'll fight that day, but you will fight sin that day every day, and the sin changes over time, but there's always a guard of don't make provision for my flesh because it will give in. Yeah, and people will say things like, uh, I can't remember the exact phrase, but everybody is one day away. Yeah. One, one day away from disaster. It could be one day away from falling back off the wagon, whatever the case. Uh, I would argue the reality is we're one moment away. Uh, when, when we get so arrogant to think, because we've all been there, that pinnacles where I killed that sermon, I really did well on counseling, or blah, 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 this paper's great, whatever. Man, that's the time to watch out. <laughs> so in thinking about the dear people that would gather in our churches, I think if we get this wrong, what often ends up happening, because we absorb, again, best of intentions, the teaching many people have sat under, and our natural constitutions, tender consciences especially, people will absorb this, yeah, you should be better by now. And they, like Luther, staring themselves in the face, looking in the mirror, and it's like, well, I'm, I'm not better. And so then there's one of two conclusions, that many tender-hearted, sincere saints draw. One, this whole thing's a sham. Or two, Christianity's real, but it didn't take with me. Right? Yeah. And that, that's not the result we're trying to produce. Mm-hmm. Right? It just had a conversation at lunch with some folks from my church talking about an individual that coming from an oppressive background, a pietistic background, whatever, went to a place where it was like, forget it. I'm going to burn the whole thing down to the ground. I can never be good enough, but I can be the best sinner there is. And that is, that is a danger when we misunderstand and misapply this. This is what's happening with a lot of people who are deconstructing. That's so. right. Yeah. He, you said something that I, I would like to say something about, because I think it's a very, very insightful observation, that there is such a thing as this kind of, you called it a spiritual prosperity gospel. Yeah, I, we've called it similar things even in our own local church because we, we all can recognize prosperity theology when it's material. Like, and we, we can 
nail that and just say, yeah, that's terrible, and here's all the reasons why this is wrong. But I think we buy into, you know, like even, you know, Horton has the phrase of easy listening legalism. I think there's an easy listening prosperity theology Mm -hmm. that is spiritual, not temporal, and it's a theology of glory, really. I mean, we have bought into this lie that if we are sincere enough and devoted enough and disciplined enough and do all the things the right way and meditate the right way and apply it the right way, then we will become so daggum spiritually strong that we will, to use your phrase, we'll just kind of hover and float six inches above the fray. And it's like, yeah, sin's real. The battle's real. That's all true. We're sinner saints. But I'm going to be impervious to trial and temptation because I'm going to be so spiritually strong. And that is not, not what the Lord would have us believe, right? right. And that is, that's a tactic of the evil one to deceive and delude. Mm-hmm. If I spend right? enough quiet time, sure. if I get up with that Pick cup of coffee thing. and yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good? Uh, one, one, and, yeah, I think so. Just right. give them great, a time for break. great quote from Chad Bird when he was on our pod one time. Yeah, he said, "This is just the honesty that this produces." You guys, guys, let's be real. He said, "So often our virtue is just an absence of temptation," <laughs> and it's like that's exactly right. And then I'm, rem- I'm mindful of Derek Thomas said that when Christians sin, we do not fall from grace, but into it. Amen. That's Amen. another good word. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, we've got a break. Obviously, the schedule's on your lanyard. You can look at that. One last reminder so that our dear friend will be able to pack up and move on to uh, Please the next help location. Ian. Uh, those books are available. Uh, he's going to be more than happy to be there to answer any questions. Please avail yourself of that. I think we have 20, 30 minutes. 3.15, guys, yeah. is when we're... So we've got 25 minutes. We do need to start promptly at 3.15, and we'll go to 4 o'clock with Q&A. See you soon. You're dismissed. Hey, everyone. Before you go, Justin and I first wanted to say thank you. And if this has been encouraging to you in any way, please feel free to share it. But we also need your support. And it's when you give that it really helps us financially reach more people. So the next time you consider giving to a ministry, we hope that you would pray about Theocast and partner with us as we share the gospel around the world.